welcome in to the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, part of Vol Basketball Fever. We're a show dedicated exclusively to talking about the Lady Vols and news around the program. Tune in to hear thoughts and discussions from experts who cover the Lady Vols on a daily basis. Now, here's a new episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by our special guest here, Kellyanne Stitz of WATE here at uh, News in Knoxville. Kellyanne, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Hey, friend. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Uh, we're looking forward to talking to you because we have a lot to cover for uh, Lady Vault Basketball, especially since you and I last uh, spoke here on the show. But uh, before we get into all that, I want to thank all of you who are tuning in on YouTube or listening on podcasts, wherever you're listening. Uh, again, very much appreciate that. All of you are fantastic uh, for supporting the show like you have been, especially now into the offseason where we're getting a lot of news, it seems like, uh, every single week for both the men's and women's team. So I really appreciate all the support, all the the likes on videos, all the subscriptions, on all just the downloads and stuff uh, on the podcast as well. So again, if you want to like this video, you want to share it around, would really appreciate that. And also go give us a five-star review on Apple, five-star review on Spotify. Uh, would also really appreciate that as well. Well, let's go ahead, uh, Kellyanne, and get into it because, like I said, we have a we have a ton to really dive into and talk about. Before we get, I guess, kind of into stuff that's happened in the off season, I want to get some perspective from you because you were down there live for both the SEC tournament and NCAA tournament for the Lady Vols. So I would love to hear kind of about your experience with both of those and kind of you know, what it was like seeing being there for the SEC tournament. What it was like being for an NCAA tournament environment for the Lady Vols? So just you know, talk about some of your experiences, anything that stood out, or just you know, what it was like being there to, to cover that. Yeah. The SEC tournament, I'll start with that in Nashville, of course, in Tennessee. So the fans, they traveled, it truly felt like a home game when they played. It was, it was so cool. The fan and Bridgestone arena is big and you'd see a ton of orange just from the eye test and the ear test. There were a ton of lady ball fans there. And the funny part was, um, or even just the, the cool part, I should say, was every fan that I talked to was not from Knoxville. Now, I'm sure that they were there in droves as well, but they were all from all over, from South Carolina, from Alabama, from across the state, from all over. Just goes to show just how much, how big the fandom is and how far wide it stretches. And everybody that I talked to, it all started with Pat Summit, of course, right? But they all had a personal story of how they saw her at a high school camp and how they met her and how they talked with her or, you know, had an exchange at some point. And it was really, really, really cool to hear um, and to see and to get that perspective from them as well. So the SEC tournament, that was one thing that really stood out to me. Unfortunately, of course, they got beat by uh, Kentucky on the three ball. Mm -hmm. And then they moved ahead to the NCAA tournament in Kansas, which I was also there for. Uh, We drove. There weren't a ton of of Tennessee fans there, but I, I don't blame them per se because that was a long, long trek. We drove. So it was like 14 hours. We hit traffic on the way there. It was like 16. So that was crazy. Um and aside of, from the grind of television, uh, it was a really cool experience. The arena was nice. Both arenas were great. Of course, Bridgestone was really cool to have the tournament in. Um, the arena in Kansas was cool. Um, it, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, again, you know, they played their hearts out. They played the best they could, but truly at the end of the day, they got outplayed by Louisville, who's a final four team. And um, I'd love to see that Ray Burrell had her one last moment of going off. 
And, you know, it was different. The vibes were different. They, not, they didn't feel in the post-game press conference defeated. Now, granted, they all mentioned that they were processing the loss. Of course, you have to understand that. But, but yeah, in the post-game press conference, of course, they were disappointed to lose. But there was no overwhelming sense of just um, being super, super down on themselves that, you know, they, they were proud as it should be, to be in the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2016 to be a part of that team. Um, and now, looking towards the future and towards next season, um, just looking at their roster and who they're picking up and who they're retaining, I mean, it seems like the sky's the limit, of course, if they can stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, that's been a, a theme that we, I've talked about with uh, Maria, with you, with Cora. Like, it, can they stay healthy? Because they have not had not had a lot of luck with health. Um, Kelly Harper and her staffs haven't. But you brought up something that also I t- I've talked about here on the podcast before about how kind of far reaching the Lady of All fandom is. I think that was really interesting that the, like pretty much everyone you talk to at the SEC tournament, they weren't from Knoxville. Like that, yeah, there is obviously a large contingent of Lady of All fans in Knoxville, but I mean, there are Lady of All fans all across the country. I think it was. I want to say it was Cora did a, a story earlier in the year about um, like the NIL stuff with the Lady of Alls and just women's basketball in general. And that I think Orange Mountain Designs or, or it was somebody that had an order overseas for a Lady of All shirt. And I was like, that's so cool. Like the, the Vol fandom in general spreads far and wide. Like the Lady of All fandom really does just seem like it, it reaches you know every corner of the earth. That's really cool. It really seems like that. It was a really cool experience. Yeah, no, I bet like that. That's a, I, at some point I'm going to go, you know, and watch the balls in tournament time too, because obviously they, they'll, I'd imagine we'll get to in a second this upcoming season host again for the uh, first round or first couple of rounds. So I would, I would definitely want to go, I think, see them next year or next season uh, when they are hopefully inevitably a, you know, another top seed in the uh, NCAA tournament. Before we get into that though, you also mentioned Ray Burrell and seeing her kind of be able to go out with a bang in terms of, you know, she performed really well finally down the stretch. Seemed like she was trying to get her, you know, kind of got her legs back underneath her was, finally playing healthier. Um, you could tell, still tell she wasn't 100%, but uh, she did get drafted as a top 10 pick in the WNBA draft, went to Los Angeles, who I, I seem to remember Kellyanne, another uh, former lady of all great going to Los Angeles and having success with the Sparks. But you also, I mean, you got to talk to Ray, and I may try to link that down in the uh, the description of the YouTube and, and the podcast too, but you got to talk to Ray. So what was it like, you know, talking with her and I, I don't know if you get to talk to her after I know you talked to her beforehand, but it seemed like she was like very excited. And also I know her, her message to Laval fans was that when she's leaving that she really enjoyed her time here. I think some fans were holding on to a sliver of hope that she'd come back, but obviously it didn't happen, but I'm very happy for her. And I think that um, going to the sparks will be a very, I think it will be a really good fit for her. I think it'd be very interesting to see what she can do. Cause I think they're going to play the young players in LA. I think, you know, Fisher has said he wants to play the young players. So hopefully she'll get some, uh, some good playing time out there. Yeah. As you mentioned, the last lady ball to be drafted in the first round to LA was none other than none other than Candace Parker. So mm-hmm. that's awesome that Ray Burrell gets to follow in that soon, that legacy. Yeah. Uh, head coach Derek Fisher said he liked her. He prioritized length and versatility and how she could impact the game in multiple ways. So she'd been on his radar for a while. Um, but yeah. And you know, Ray was super excited. We did get to hear from her after, but I did get the chance to talk to her beforehand when she was preparing. And she had told me, you know, of course, and then the news came out that she had been invited to New York City. She was excited about that experience with her family because it was just the second time she's ever been to the big city. So 
even just the process was exciting because they get their hair and makeup done, the wardrobe, the photo opportunities, the media, um, and just to be there, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. And it was really exciting. Of course, we saw head coach Kelly Harper was there as well, which I know is really special to Ray mm-hmm. and her family. Um, yeah, Ray was excited. She was nervous, but she was excited. She seemed very optimistic. She was training at um, uh, Priority One Athletics with Sean Green. So she was staying ready, just working on little, little things, just sharpening up a little technique. Um, we talked about a lot of things, of course, like, as you mentioned, she was very, very grateful for her time at Tennessee. She stayed because she wanted to stay loyal to the program. And with head coach Kelly Harper coming in and her resume, her winning resume um, as a player, especially, and as a head coach, but um, what re- she always mentioned was, you know, Kelly and or Kelly Harper was a championship. Like she won national championships as a player. So she understood that. So she was like, well, why would I leave when I have that coming in and somebody who had done that guiding me in, in that way? So she had saved, stayed loyal to the program, super grateful for her time, loved the fan base, uh, would gush about the fan base and how when she'd come out, they'd, you know, they'd cheer her on, like, you got this, Ray. And when she'd make a bucket, they'd be like, Ray, bro, you know, the in arena announcer. So she loved, loved all of that. Um, she was excited. And then the only thing I thought was interesting about Ray was that uh, two things, a couple of things about her was interesting was she was a multi uh, athletes. She was a multi-sport athlete growing up. Mm-hmm. So she played soccer and she mentioned how soccer helped her basketball game, how it translated from the pitch to the court was the footwork. Um, in soccer, you have to have really great footwork. And she said that really helped her in basketball. So I thought that little bit tidbit that she shared with me was really cool. And then of course, having endured her first major injury of her college basketball career this season, her senior season, which is really, really tough. Injuries are tough on anybody, on any athlete, but especially your senior year coming off of the season that she had junior year was understandably extremely tough, especially mentally. So she said she had turned to guided meditations to help her through that tough time and stay focused. Yeah. She just find them on YouTube and then find a quiet spot and do that. And I, she has now taken that up as a habit to help kind of relax her and refocus her. And honestly, I might try it too, because it sounds like <laughs> a great idea. Um, so those are a couple of things I thought was interesting with Ray that I learned about her. But yeah, she's really excited, really grateful for her time at Tennessee. I think she's honored to represent um, the Lady Balls and the Power T for the rest of her life. And then also now as she um, continues her journey in LA. And, you know, you mentioned maybe fans had a sliver of hope I'd asked her following the Sweet 16 loss if she was going to return for clarification purposes because, of course, she went through the senior um, senior day. She was obviously very emotional on senior day when they lost to LSU. But John Fulkerson did dang near the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And with the extra year of eligibility, she had, you know, used her four years. But with that extra year of eligibility with COVID, it, there's a lot of gray area. So I just wanted to clarify that that was the last time we were going to see her in orange and white, but then the way she answered kind of opened up the door to where Kelly Harper then had to do damage control and, you know, back her up and say that was always the plan because she has not been expecting that question. But, it, you know, it's so funny in the real time when she answered, it did give that sliver hope. And then all of a sudden, you know, even I'm thinking, Oh, wow, well, she might return. Cause Maybe she just wanted to build off of, you know, her junior year. And she, like you mentioned, she was playing almost to her normal self at the end. But you could also tell even when she was progressing, she was never 100%. She wasn't as fast as she was or quick as she was as the year before. So she wasn't fully 100% her. So you think maybe, 
maybe you'd want to test, you know, come back and develop that. But again, as we see, she was picked ninth overall. So she was ready for the next step. And ultimately, you know, as she mentioned, she was ready. And I'm very, very happy and excited to follow her journey at the next level. Yeah, just one of another uh, former Lady of All Stars who is now in the WNBA and who hopefully will carve carve at a role in the WNBA. And, and again, you'll keep keep that Lady of All brand strong in in the league there um, because it, there's a lot of former players, uh, former Lady of Alls up there that are that are you know playing well and having you know big roles and stuff in the WNBA. Um, but looking looking ahead here, I guess kind of ahead, but looking you know past the season and, and past, of course, you know giving a big shout out to Ray Burrell for being drafted in the first round um, into the WMEA draft. There, looking at this, I guess kind of the the current slash future of this Lady of All program. Of course, we all already knew you know just Justine Bassat was was signing with Lady of All as a five star um, who was really you know blew up in the recruiting rankings. She was not a five-star when the Lady Vols, you know, first offered her and we're talking with her and everything, but then, you know, more and more attention she got, the more people were aroused by. She has a very unique skill set as a 6-4, basically 6-4 guard, basically. I mean, she, she can play the post, but she's not like a traditional post player. She has an outside shot. She can uh, cut to the basket. But we knew she was going to come in if you've done about her for a while. But then we had, and actually still during this season when Lady Vols were going through tournament, Jazz, uh, Jazz Powell uh, committed to Tennessee as a transfer. Then you had Rakia Jackson. And then just recently over the weekend, I want to say, or on Friday, it was one of the, like, I think it was late last week. Uh, you had another Jasmine, <laughs> Jasmine Franklin of, of uh, Missouri State, who actually she played for Kelly Harper at Missouri State. Uh, she announced that, she, that she's committing to Tennessee as a transfer. To me, she kind of looks like um, a little bit of, of filling that role that, Alexis Dye leaving behind, kind of a somewhat undersized kind of post player, but someone that can really attack the basket and really is aggressive on the glass. Was a real was the uh, the Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year a couple of seasons ago. Before obviously this past year, she I think she missed a lot of time with injury. That'll be the biggest question for me is how she bounces back from injury. But really, I I think I want to talk a little bit about her because we've talked on this podcast a lot about Rakia and uh, Jazz. But I I think getting Franklin is someone that. Uh, I think again, as long as she's recovered from her injury, I think she's a potentially really good player that can, that can be a really good role player for this team next year. And I love that you said that she is exactly who I thought would be a great replacement for Alexis Stye. She was the nation's second leading rebounder before her ACL injury, as you mentioned. So that's one thing I was going to see is how she was is able to come back to that, or how she was able to come back to that rehab. Mm-hmm. From that injury but beforehand she already has familiarity with Kelly she I feel like it's going to be that replacement for Lexus especially on the boards of course we know how big of a priority it is to win the rebounding battle with the Lady Balls and just defense in general so I think she's a huge 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 pickup for the Lady Balls. yeah and like you said you know she not only did she have experience playing under coach Harper but it wasn't just like that she played at Missouri State. She had experience on the Sweet 16 team with Kelly Harper, too. It's like she has experience with like making runs in the NCAA tournament with Kelly Harper. She knows what it takes to be a Kelly Harper player and by extension, what it means, what it takes to be a Lady of All. And, and Kelly Harper and uh, her staff have talked multiple times about how they're not going to bring someone in just to bring someone in. They have to fit the mold. They have to fit the standard of being a Lady of All. Kelly Harper knows you know, knows Jasmine Franklin better than she probably does a lot of other players in transfer portal. And she, so the fact that she saw her and said, yeah, she played for me before she can play for me here again. Like that to me, I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to get, you know, trying to get Jasmine on here on the show. I was able to talk with Jazz Powell and Rakia and in interviews, but I've not, you know, I've tried to get 
I'm trying to get Jasmine Franklin on here, hopefully, to talk with her, uh, or if, if not her, someone who's you know covered the team there at uh, at the at, yeah the school of Missouri <laughs> at the school she's coming from. Sorry, Missouri State. I kept wanting to say all kinds of different team and, names. And you know, for her too, it, you know, you see how even Alexis died, which is unfortunate. She wasn't able to have it. I heard to hear this a lot. One more year with the Liddy Balls. You've seen coaches mm-hmm. talk about it too. But the way that they were able to help her develop her game at this level, I'm excited to see that also for Jasmine Franklin as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, she, she'll have like, she's the person who she, you know, this will be her first year at Tennessee, but she has a lot of experience and is a veteran that again, not, you know, played for Kelly Harper, but she's a person that like, you look at Alexis Dye had played a lot of basketball and yeah. And Jasmine's played a lot of basketball. Same thing with Keegan Green. Like she played a lot of, obviously she had more than one year at Tennessee, but she played a lot of basketball. In fact, this team, this kind of, I guess, transitioning to looking ahead the next year too. Uh, a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more in a second. I want to get to the transfers in general in a second. But this team's going to have a lot of experience. Again, not all of it at Tennessee, but you look at uh, the transfers coming in are all players that have played multiple years. You know, not just like a, a you bring in a sophomore, but they're all players who played multiple years at their respective schools. Uh, Rikia played multiple years at Mississippi State. Jazz multiple years at Maryland. Uh, other Jasmine played multiple years uh, before you know, coming to Tennessee as well. You look at who's on the roster. Jordan Horston is you know a, a as a big as a big veteran jordan walker is a, a, a veteran who's been here for multiple years now and has a lot of college experience you have a really just a plethora of experience in that starting potential starting five and also kind of the first couple ones off the bench because you also have uh players who've been here a couple years now who were freshmen last year or sophomores last year all of a sudden now they're juniors and and sophomores so you're not having you have one true freshman coming in i don't know that they'll add another that recruit in this class if they add someone else um you know, I think if they had someone else to be in the transfer portal, but this is a team that has, I mean, Kelly and they have a ton of experience. I mean, again, not all of it at Tennessee, but basically every single person on that roster has at least like, you know, excluding the ones who are freshmen this year. A lot of them though have, a, have two or more years of playing experience in college basketball in D one college basketball, which that is, that's uh that's a lot of games played under their belts. Yeah. If you're a lady ball fan, you should be absolutely stoked for this upcoming season. I mean, the three transfers are ranked in the top 10, according to an ESPN article that in itself is, is really exciting just to show the caliber of talent that they're bringing in. And then of course, as you just mentioned, it is a fairly experienced roster because Jordan Horson will then be a senior Tamari key. You retain Jordan Walker with all that experience and leadership in the point guard position. But then think about how much, how much playing time those freshmen had and how big they were contributing down the stretch in postseason play they will all now be sophomores that experience in the minutes that they were able to get because of injuries and being able to step up I think is going to be huge next year in terms of just depth Mm -hmm. so you know you you lose some key players of course but they're bringing in key players to then replace them I think from the transfer portal and then they have another spot as we mentioned we talked about before um, and as you mentioned now I agree with you that I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if they were to go to the portal to add somebody else but just looking at who they have right now and as you mentioned the five-star freshman coming in I'd be extremely stoked and personally to cover the team next season I am excited to see how they do you the expectations I'm are I'm going to guess they're sky high. I'm going to guess there's are going to be all these preseason watch lists for these players. Um, you think about last year at one point in the season, there was talks of the final four team before mm-hmm. all the injuries and they've made it to the sweet 16 
with all of those injuries. So adding all this talent back to the roster and then all the retention and hopefully if they can stay healthy, I think that it should be another extremely exciting year. This might be the most talented team that Kelly Harper's had since she's been at Tennessee. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about that in, in just a second too, but to go back to kind of the experience part here, um, looking at the rosters right now, you have uh, super senior Jordan Walker, you have regular seniors in uh, Jordan Horston and, and uh, excuse me, Jordan Horston and Tamari Key. You'll have rising juniors and Tess Darby, Marta Suarez, and then you'll have rising sophomores. And yeah, you have rising sophomores in Brooklyn Miles, Sarah Puckett, Kai Wynn, and Caroline Stripling. And again, that doesn't include the the newcomers who I think most of the well, obviously um, Jasmine Franklin will be. A, I, I think she'll be a super senior technically too. But then Jazz and uh, Verkia are both. I want to say rising seniors, rising juniors. I forget which now. Juniors. Yeah. So like that is again. That's just. There's so much experience. I mean, either team. way, yeah, like she's mentioned that. What we just talked about, that's a ton of experience, even in the transfers. Seniors, yeah. seniors, rising juniors, whatever. It's it's a lot of experience. A lot of ball has been played um, and proven, proven uh, talent, too. Mm-hmm. And it, like I just mentioned really quick, you know, they get more Marta Suarez back from injury. Yep. Somebody who missed the entire season, who was a contributor in her as a freshman. So that's got to be exciting, you'd think, right? Exactly. Like the, the, the depth on the team, like there's going to be – I mean, the competition is going to be unreal. Like, that's the thing is like, there's going to be the competition. At, it will be something we have not seen at, at Tennessee in a long time in terms of who and we've, we've also seen Kelly Harper be, you know, willing to play players at minutes like, and young players at minutes, not just in, you know, garbage time, like actual minutes that matters. Like people will be getting their minutes, especially early on in the year when they're trying to figure out rotations and figure out who fits in best where and everything. But I mean, you mentioned it, this is going to be, the most talented team, in my opinion, that Kelly Harper's definitely have, but the most talented team Lady Vols have seen probably, gosh, in a, in a long time. In terms of not just having talent and like having five star like freshmen or whatever, but having like talent and experience. Like this is a perfect blend, in my opinion, of that. And that kind of leads me into talking I, before I get into looking ahead to the season, looking at these transfers because uh, Kelly and I think that was a, a big thing that I think fans had questions about the level of recruiting that. Kelly, you know, Kelly Harper and her staff have been able to do like they had brought in some good recruits and they'd done some good things, but there's a lot of questions of, okay, can they recruit to the Lady Ball standard? This isn't the traditional recruiting in terms of like, you know, looking at five-star prospects coming out of high school, which obviously you have Justine Passat who fits that mold, but recruiting is a, a different, it's a different animal altogether now because of the transfer portal. And the fact that you just mentioned it on the ESPN, as we're recording this on uh, Tuesday afternoon, ESPN on Tuesday, I guess around lunchtime, released their like actual like preliminary transfer rankings for women's basketball. I think they rank the top 30 transfers currently. Lady Vols right now have the number one transfer with Rakia Jackson, number eight with Jasmine Franklin, and number 10 with Jazz Powell. So three of the top 10 transfers, including the number one transfer on the market this past year, are going to be Lady Vols. Like, that to me, like that, that should have, like that should, in my opinion, close the door on any questions about recruiting. I, I will be interested to see what happens in the twenty-three class for Lady Balls because that's a really important class to help establish the future of the program. Because this one, this was more about getting this season and a little bit into next year, like set. Twenty-three is going to be about you know establishing the rest of the future for the program. But me, me Kelly, and like I didn't have like a ton of questions about being able to recruit at Lady Vols because it's kind of like the football team it, it can almost recruit itself to an extent it's more about getting the right fits in here but that that the way the transfer portal has been handled by this staff again it's all on paper but in theory 
that that should have answered a lot of the questions anyone had about recruiting uh, with this staff. Well, Coach Samantha Williams is a great recruiter. So yes, even just is. having her on Kelly's staff, I think has been phenomenal for them. And you see, you're seeing that payoff now. Yeah, the transfer portals to Wild West in men's and women's. And I think in any sport at this point, because of that, you're allowed to now start right away or play right away, even transferring within the conference. We're seeing a mm-hmm. lot of that more often. But I want to, not just to show just how, I guess, or to show just how exciting this upcoming season could be. In Kansas, I talked to longtime play-by-play announcer and voice of the Lady Vols. I am not going to edit this part out. This is too funny. <laughs> That's totally fine. Please keep this part. He he is a rising star in himself as well. <laughs> no, but I'm going to put him down as he made his little cameo appearance. But this is Debo's mini puppy. I'm going to go away. So in Kansas, I talked to... Um, the voice of the Lady Vols, Mickey Deerstone. And of course, he, he's re- he retired. He announced his retirement in the middle of the season that he was going, his intentions to retire after the season. Um, so we were just talking, and I believe they picked up Rakia when it was close to the NCAA tournament, or e- either in Kansas or around that time. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about it off camera, and he we were both joking that he was going to pull a Tom Brady and come out of retirement once they picked up Rakia and thinking about – Rakia, Tamari Key, and Jordan Horston on the court together. And this was even before they picked up the two Jasmines out of the portal. So just to even show you how that excitement already had started before the season ended. Of course, we were focused on the, se- the task at hand and their season still happening. But I think that was just a little bit of a testament that, yeah, this team should be really exciting to watch. I think they're filling the needs um, that they're losing in Ray Burrell and Alexis Dye. And they're just building off and adding too. And, you know, with ja- with um, Jasmine Powell as a true point guard, mm-hmm. uh, it'd be interesting to see whether, you know, Kelly will start, and this is way, high, like, way talking in the future I'm talking about right here, but start Jordan Walker or kind of bring her off the bench. But either way, there's just another testament to the depth that they're going to have. And I think they're going to have enough versatility, of course, to change the lineup depending on, you know, their opponent as you typically would, but just think about how much talent and they're able to shift around and play around. It's people coming off the bench at this point, I'm going to guess again on paper, we'll see how they all mesh and blend together under this coaching staff and together as players. But I mean, the people coming off the bench could all basically just, but it been the starters, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I mean, this would be really, really exciting to watch. You're right. Like the, the bench players could be starters for like a, a, a school somewhere like that. That's just kind of the and again, it may not be like, you know, a final 14, but they would be they, like the bench player since he has this year could be legitimate starters at a lot of other programs. Uh, you talked about kind of the starting lineup and what it could be. I, I think you make a good point. You know, I don't think we'll see the same starting five every single game. And hopefully, hopefully it's not because of injury. Hopefully it's because, like you said, there's versatility. <laughs> Where you have out there now ahead of time. Yeah, right. Where you you have the ability to play bigger. Obviously, Tamari. I mean, she's going to start. I'd imagine she never loses a starting job unless she, you know, gets hurt or whatever. I imagine the two that are guaranteed are going to be Tamari Key and Jordan Horston. Um, but you're right. Like I, I think Jazz starts definitely starts a point guard because she's a true point guard. Whereas Jordan Walker was brought in as kind of a combo guard and was you know, had to play point guard because Tennessee didn't really have a true point guard um, to fill that role. I still think she plays. Yeah, she did. And she did a good job, too. I think she will still, like you said, most of the time start at that, too, because I think she's a, you know, I will be interested to see how much better of a shooter she can be when she's off ball, when she's not having to be 
the Ford General and, the, and distributing uh, as often as she is. But it'd be nice to have another, like she's had so much experience now being a ball handler. Now you have another really experienced ball handler along with Jazz Powell out there as well. You have Horston, who's an experienced ball handler who, you know, she's capable of leading your team in every single category uh, on, the, on the stat sheet. You have Tamari Key and you have Rakia Jackson. I imagine she'll start as the four for Tennessee. And so too. So yeah, so then you're, you're throwing in, like you said, just a bunch of experience on, off the bench as well there. Um, but like you said, you have the ability to go more, kind of more small ball. You have the ability to kind of play three forwards if you want to. And, and well, I guess technically like Jordan is a uh, horse is kind of a guard, but I mean, she's a six, two guard, so she can play, you know, post if she needs to, or it wants to, but you have Marta Suarez. who's also six, two is a, kind of that, that guard forward type hybrid. Um, it's going to be really fun to see some of the lineups that this team can run. And, you know, again, you, you have, you know, what can Caroline Stripling, you know, she, she showed some flashes down the stretch where she got more minutes and you know, she was played. Sarah Puckett flashed a lot of potential. Brooklyn Miles flashed a lot of potential. Kai Wynn, if she develops her offense, then Kai, I think, is going to be really good because she has she's one of the best defenders on the team. She's needed to, you know, develop her shot some more. So I, I think, Kellyanne, that like, again, there's still a spot left. Like, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do with the other spot, but like, we'll talk about it now, I guess. But like, the, the expectations for this team this year, I think, are going to be really high and I don't blame anyone for, you know, I'm, I'm, this isn't in a case of me saying like, you know, that I would say like, well, hold your horses, you know, wait, wait till we see They're like, there's legitimate reasons to have really high hopes for this team as long as we're healthy, because I mean, this is a really talented, really experienced team with, I think a really good coaching staff as well. Like the expectation should be finishing top two, maybe, maybe winning the SEC. I think South Carolina is going to be so good against this next year that it'd be tough to win the SEC, but you know, Number two in the SEC behind the reigning national champion, nothing to to sneeze at, and I think expectations, you know, fair or not, will be Final Four for this team for a lot of fans. And I again, if you're healthy with this roster, I 100% can see them being a, a Final Four team. Again, that's you know, there's still a lot of roster turnover to happen. That's been happening in, in women's basketball in general. There's so many teams that aren't even close to having their rosters filled out. So, you know, holding off on all that, you know, considering seeing what teams do like Maryland, especially as a, as a big, you know, big one to have a lot of turnover. Um, like I, I wait, wait and see kind of how rosters play out, but really like the sec shouldn't in theory be going through Columbia and Knoxville next season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the expectations are going to be sky high. I think there's already excitement and buzz around the program in this offseason, which is great. Um, and I just a quick comment, too, going back to – we're just talking about the players and the expectations and everything, too. I'm interested to see, um, as you went through the list of the freshmen and, again, how we mentioned the glimpses of uh, at the end that they were able to show, I'm really excited to see how they develop in their second mm-hmm. year. Um, again, even just another – reason why I think fans will be so excited as you mentioned the final four expectation I'm sure that's going to re-come into the picture re-enter the picture um and I I I agree I mean I think if they can everything can go as planned of course this is all preseason talk this is all uh, way in advance you know talk but still I mean I think there's there should be um a lot of excitement a lot of buzz around this team yeah and I one thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch for next year is something that both when I got to talk to Jazz and Rakia both mentioning, you know, one of the things that Coach Harper had talked to them about and one of the reasons they chose Tennessee is that Kelly Harper is not making it quiet. It, it, she's not no secret. She wants to play faster. Like she wants to play more up tempo. And that's why she's brought in a Jazz Powell and a Rakia Jackson is because she wants to play faster and be able to run up, run up and down the court more and have a faster paced offense and I guess defense too. 
So I think seeing if, if the pace is, you know, the tempo is up this year, what they can do, you know, how does that affect things? Are they going to press more on defense? Does that, you know, lead to more turnovers, you know, defensively? Because they, they also often struggle with turnovers. So many turnovers, right. Right. That, that's, that's the thing to me is I want to see that faster t- tempo, but I want to see it be better controlled. And I think that's where bringing in a Jazz Powell as a true point guard really helps because you have, you know, a better understanding, a higher, I guess, point guard IQ. Because, you know, Jordan Walker has a high basketball IQ. I'm not taking anything away from her. But just having that natural skill set of someone who's played point guard for years and years and years, it, it can make a difference. And Jazz, I talked about the big reason she, why she wanted to come to Tennessee is because she likes playing faster and likes being able to, you know, dish off the ball to really talented players. But, you know, she's, she's capable of scoring herself too. But I think the biggest things for me are seeing the development of the fast-paced offense and cutting down on turnovers. That was the biggest issue. Obviously, free throw shooting was bad, and that was a, a, an issue for the team too. That, you though, that, that, though, you can keep practicing in the gym and get better at. Turnovers was a matter of, you know, people kind of still playing out of position a little bit, people who, you know, a lot of players that are younger in, in there and maybe trying to do a little too much. This year's, this Again, this year's team will be extremely experienced. I think, hopefully, the term, turnover numbers will go down, not just a little bit, but, like, maybe significantly and that really along with injuries were the only two things that really held lay balls back were the injuries and the turnovers if they if they'd stayed healthy and cut down even just slightly on the turnovers that's a team that is is i think at least in the lead eight maybe playing in the final four this year but again this next year i that's what i think they can do is is if they cut down on the turnovers a, a, a good chunk and stay healthy uh that is a to me on paper is a final four team I 100% agree with you. I mean, everything you just said is exactly what I'm thinking too as well. I think those are the two injuries and turnovers were two of their biggest flaws last year. So, um, and you, like you mentioned too, just bringing that experience uh, second year in, I think that should really, that should help. If they can do that, I mean, why wouldn't you think this could be a Final Four team, you know? Yeah, exactly. And- the pr- proven success they even had last year, despite all the adversity. Yeah, and it's going to be again. I don't know. We don't know all of the teams and stuff. Lady Vols are going to have to play non-conference wise, but it's, it's again, it's again going to be a tough schedule. If you look look at all the teams. Tennessee played. They played all four Final Four teams. Obviously, one of them was Louisville. They played in the tournament, but they played Louisville. They played South Carolina. They played Stanford. They played UConn. Like that was a brutal schedule they had this year. And then, of course, you throw in a bunch of the other NCAA tournament teams they played, like you know, from a non-conference play and with you know Texas. You look at the Florida schools, you look at some of the big 12 schools and obviously the SEC schools they played. I think this upcoming year, it'll be really interesting to see how deep the SEC is because I think for the most part, the league is going to take a little bit of a step back, but Kim Mulkey's doing a really good job of retooling the LSU roster. There's, there's been some really good um, additions in the transfer portal by some SEC schools too. So it's not going to be, I don't think as maybe deep as it was this past year, but it's still not going to be a league that, you know, you can just, go out there if you're Tennessee and win every, any game you, you know, besides South Carolina that you play. So I, I think that they'll be tested again. They'll have probably a really good, just like this past year, really good uh, resume on paper for making a case for maybe being, I hope a one seed again, because that that's be the first time they've been a one seed in, Oh God, I'll, I'll look it up, but it feels like it's been almost a decade or, or so since they've been a one seed. Right. Yeah. I, I would imagine so. And yeah, it will it'd be interesting to see what the schedule looks like next year. Um, but I believe Kelly Hopper's mentioned before that she wants to have a tougher schedule. They don't, they're not going to shy away from a challenge. They want that challenge as do I think typically a lot of head coaches that can actually continue to compete with that level of experience. You know, they want that. They want their players 
to be contending in those early games, those early non-conference tough games to then prepare them for the postseason. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it, like you said, not just with Lady Vols, but a lot of head coaches, but that, you know, go to the men's side. Rick Barnes has mentioned that being a big, um, a big focus was, is getting tough non-conference. It was a big focus. Yeah. It was a big focus under uh, Bruce Pearl when he was at Tennessee too. Like it, I, I think the teams that schedule better non-conference wise, you, to me, like I, I would be interested to actually go back and, and see if it was the case, but to me, I think it, it prepares you better. And those teams have better success um, in postseason play than, than the teams who have weak non-conference schedules, basically. 100%. I, I agree with you. Yeah. So it looks like I think the last time Tennessee was a number one seed uh, was 2014, it looks like. So it's, it's it has been almost a decade. I was right. It, it felt like it had been about that long. So I think 2014, they were, unless I'm reading this incorrectly, I think they were the number one seed in 2014 in the Louisville region, I think. So um, I, I think so. So I, that it's it's been a while. But none, like regardless, it's been a while <laughs> since they Yeah, either way, slice it. It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm looking at kind of their their seeding and stuff. You hear seeding through the years. Yeah, last time they were number one seed was 2014, uh, and then they lost in the regional semis that year. Um, they, I mean, Laval's been number one seed so many times, but it's been again, it's been. I guess by the time next year comes around, it'll have been nine years. Of course, there wasn't a you know a tournament in 2020, so it won't be nine tournaments. But it'll be nine years since they've been a one seed. If they get, I, I think just being a two seed would be really cool. Like I think, I think it'd be really awesome to get to two seed because they haven't been a two seed since 2015. So like it's, it have been a while since they've been one of those top eight teams in the NCAA tournament. Whereas that used to be consistently where the Vols were. It, it was a, it was a disappointment if they weren't one of the, you know, a one or a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Pretty much. And that, yeah. And that would show even just, how far the program is progressing under head coach Kelly Harper and in, in, in my opinion, a short time. So, um, you know, that, that'd also just be great for the trajectory and mm-hmm. the resurgence of, you know, the program and being to taking it where it should be. Well, Kelly, before we, we get you out of here and before we end the show, again, I, I was really interested to hear your, your experiences in the tournament, but you know, just kind of looking back at this whole season, you, you covered the team all season. You got to talk to the players and the coaches, what was kind of your, your a big takeaway maybe you had from the year? Because I, I, you get to talk to, I imagine, you know, Coach Harper. I don't know about the assistants, but I assume that they, I don't recall them talking to the media a ton. But was there any kind of big takeaways from any of the players, from from Coach Harper, for anything this past year? Because, again, you, they, they did a good job, I think, of, of presenting, you know, the players and coaches and stuff to the media. Uh, women's basketball, especially, I think they try to do that more to get more coverage. And, you know, the women's, women's sports need more coverage. And I appreciate that Tennessee understands that and tries to, you know, tried to do a good job of getting that coverage out there. It seemed like, and, you know, per, you know being available. So I was just curious if, was there any big takeaways, anything that you learned, you know, about coach Harper, learned about the team that maybe, you know, hasn't gotten the attention or maybe that you, you just want to reiterate. Cause I know you've done a lot of different features. I've, I've watched some of the videos, not just of women's basketball, but you did with the football team that you've done with the men's team, but there, there's just a lot of stories, really cool stories out there. Um, for the athletes and the coaches and stuff. So I didn't know if there's one that you you had that really stood out to you from this past year that you wanted to highlight. I would say maybe not one thing specific. I did. I w- did get the opportunity to sit down with Kean Green mm-hmm. and, I, and she is so wise. She's just wise behind her ears. She was so great. Um, very, very conversational. We talked for, I think almost like, like 20, 30 minutes. It was crazy. And it didn't feel like that. Very, very wise. I can see, uh, you know, everybody talked about just her leadership, her leadership. And I, I can see, I can see that. Obviously, you know, it's hard to see if you're not a part of the team. Like we hear about, you can see it to an extent 
on the side or, you know, on the bench when she's trying to coach and, and warmups and stuff and, you know, on the court here and there, but really, you know, we're not a part of the program. We're not there on the day to day, but just even talking to her, I, I could totally see where that that comes from. Um, but I think what stuck out to me the most and what Kian talked about and what they talked about all season long was just how close the team was mm-hmm. and how they were truly playing for each other, but top down from coaches to the support staff, to the players, for everybody, everybody was truly fighting for everybody. I mean, you even saw it when Kelly would get fiery about a bad call or missed call or something she didn't agree with, she'd go to bat for her players. Um, but they would also go to bat for her. They, you know, they would internalize whether she was pressing very hard in coaching. That's one thing that Kean had mentioned. We saw that locker room, that halftime um, blip from her. I can't remember what game it was now. Where oh, she, man. Was, yes, I, I think it was the, I know it, it's it was the road game against old Auburn or Ole Miss, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, he and I talked about him. And goodness, of course it slips my mind, but everything's <laughs> blur nowadays of the season. But um so when she had that fire moment we all saw on the SEC network. Um Kian said she's really she's really good coach in terms of um when to know, of course, she's really good coach in general, but this aspect of when to press her players and when to give that tough love and when to kind of pull back. Mm-hmm. Of course, we saw in that moment that very aggressive tough love. But um, yeah, I think it just it fires up the players. You know, when she gets at them, typically more times than not, they turned it around. You know, if they were struggling in the first half, they came out and turned it around those explosive third quarters. But at the end of the day, even through all the adversity, I think teams at that time, you can crumble if you don't have that strong foundation as a team trying to fight for each other you can easily let the season slip away from you but they didn't even when they went through that rough patch without Kian initially they still continue to fight and you just saw that in the players and you constantly heard that so I thought that was really cool to see play out throughout the season yeah and and to speak to that too that was a, that's been a big thing the culture and the, how close the players are of Again, when I've been able to talk to Jazz and Rakia, they mentioned that that was a, a big reason they chose Tennessee is because they saw that and they loved the culture. And Rakia said that her you know, teammates are and the relationships she has with them is huge. And she saw how close this team was with each other and how they cheered for each other and treated each other. And, and Jazz mentioned that you know they greeted her at the airport. She's like, I didn't have, I've never had anybody do that on any of the visits I'd had. Like, come actually, like the head coach and, and people greeting me at the airport. So like, yeah, it. it, it I think that to me is one of the big things that stood out and, and both like both Lady Vols and the Benz team, they both seem to be very tightly knit this year. And I think that, I think it's partially because of the cultures, both those you know, the coaches have established, but also, I also wonder if it played into the fact that, you know, the season before that was the, you know, the COVID year and, you know, there was so much distance that off season, you obviously literally distance with isolation and stuff like that. Even when you were together as a team, like it was a very different experience. I, I wonder if that also played into it that, Hey, this feels a lot more normal. We're actually you can interact and feel like a team rather than just kind of a group of individuals. I think that, you know, also played into it. But again, I think it's also the fact that Kelly Harper and Rick Barnes both have done a really good job of establishing, you know, healthy cultures inside their program and cultures that are, Oh yeah, people toss around the word family a lot. I I, I just and I don't you know I I think it it feels kind of like family. If, I think for both of them, but just regardless of what word you want to use, like it it's a culture that is built on respect of one another and wanting to see you know that player, your teammate, have success, even if you're not having success. 
Mm-hmm. And I think too, this is the culture they established, and I, you know, it's unique about the Lady Vols with the head coach Kelly Harper is it is truly a family. And you said yes, you mm-hmm. hear it tossed around all the time, but I think you can really see the difference, especially when consistently all of the players are backing that up. And of course, you also see. Kelly's family is the Lady Vols. I mean, her husband's an assistant. Her kids are always around the program. We had Jackson's takeover day, which is like the highlight (laughs) of the year at the time. So, and, you know, I was talking to Keen about that, and they like that. They like that family atmosphere. They always talk about, you know, the post game locker room celebrations when they would win. That was, you know, they, we'd see them on social media, but then, asking the players about to elaborate on that moment or before they post on social media, they'd light up and the post-game press conferences, you know, the ones that they would win, uh, you know, good vibes all around. And even just talking to Kian, it wasn't only the culture, but she mentioned just individually the players. I think everybody just kind of bought into um, that culture and what they were preaching and bought into it fully. And I think you just see that product of, Uh, She said, you know, it wasn't, there was nobody in the locker room who was about themselves and their individual stats and patting their stats and their resume and accolades. Everybody wanted to um, play for each other. And I think it even goes to show when Jordan during her breakout season, of course, before her injury, and you'd ask questions pertaining to her, she'd somewhat talk about herself, but mostly it was just about the team. So, you know, you have players like that elite players who are literally filling up every category of the stat sheet, but they are not talking about themselves and just giving credit to the team. So you saw that culture. I'm excited to see how that grows. Um, and hopefully, you know, I don't see why that would change even with the new players, but see them now coming to um, that locker room, I think will be exciting. But that's one thing that stuck out to me uh, specifically from this past season. And I'd also like, I wanted to talk to coach Williams before about her TikToks. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully I can do that now. <laughs> I think making a TikTok with her would be phenomenal. Maybe she could teach me some things because she <laughs> absolutely not only kills the game in the recruiting, but she also kills the game in TikTok. She does. And then people love them and eat them up because she's, like I said, she's funny on there. She, she like, she has a really good sense of humor. I, I like seeing the stuff that she produces. Um, but Kellyanne, this has been wonderful. I, I really appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your, your busy afternoon, your busy work life as a, a sports reporter uh, to do the podcast with me. I, it's been a while since you've been on, so I'd love for you to go ahead and plug your stuff and let you know everybody know if they want to come follow you on Twitter, if they want to see what you're doing. Uh, let them know where they can find your work and how they can inter- interact with you. Yes, if anybody wants to keep up with everything happening on Rocky Top um, and at the high school level here in Knoxville, you can follow me on Twitter at Kellyanne Stitz. Um, I think that's main, main, the main uh, platform you like to follow me on. I do post some of my work on YouTube as well, which is under my name, Kellyanne Stitz, but I cover everything. Um, <laughs> sorry, my dog is playing. Also, if you want to see pictures of my dog, you can also follow me on social media. Um, but yeah, if you want to keep up with everything happening on Rocky Talk, find me in WWE. Um, WWE Raw just came to town on Monday mm-hmm. and I got an interview Knoxville's own Bianca Belair, the superstar. She's fabulous, a fabulous person, genuinely one of the nicest athletes I've met and had the pleasure of talking to. Um, so, and she was able to defend her Rollins championship title here in Knoxville. I just interviewed her. So if you're interested in also that kind of content, um, feel free to give me a follow and check it out. Well, awesome. Yep. I'll leave some links to Kellyanne's Twitter and everything like that on uh, the description here in YouTube and on the podcast. So y'all can go find it pretty easy on there, but thank you again, Kellyanne. And again, thank you to all of you who watched along, listened along, you know, whatever, however you consume this really appreciate all of you. Uh, and if you have any questions, anything, any suggestions, anything you want to know about in, in future episodes, leave us a little comment on the video or at, you know, find us on Twitter and, and, and Facebook. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. 
Signing off for Kellyanne, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Lady Ball Basketball Fever Podcast.